Hello, this is Dave Cohn, CFO of Taylor Morrison, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. Bonus episode. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. As our listeners know well, workforce priorities are today a hot topic among finance leaders with phrases such as performance culture and workforce attrition quickly capturing the attention of CFOs. Here's another one, cost per hire. For those finance leaders interested in taking a deeper dive into the leadership best practices that are today underpinning performance cultures, we've created a new podcast titled Workplace Champions. Each episode of Workplace Champions will feature another interview with a CEO, CFO, or C-suite member, and together we zero in on workforce issues. What's more, to better identify and highlight for you the key takeaways from our discussions, I'll be joined by employee performance guru Brett Knowles on each Workplace Champions episode. And so in order to better acquaint you with Workplace Champions, we've formulated this special bonus episode just for our CFO Thought Leader listeners. We hope you find it valuable and encourage you to subscribe to Workplace Champions on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Our bonus episode begins after these words from our sponsor. Your business is always moving forward, always innovating. To maintain your competitive edge, you need a cloud solution that's built for your state of business, where speed and agility are of paramount importance and business is constantly on the move, where you need to face the future with confidence and every insight is critical to driving your success. You're in the business of go. So are we. Explore Oracle Cloud for finance today. Visit oracle.com forward slash go. So the workforce is definitely changing and it's shifting. And I think part of it is the industry has kind of responded to uh, the cost of health care and... In order to continue to attract the very best in terms of aggressive, talented people, we have to be seen as a place that promises not only excellence, but also growth. And we have a real culture of personal growth and development to really work on themselves spiritually, mentally, physically, and all the other areas of balance. How you treat your people really sets a good example and a guideline for how they should treat all of the stakeholders of the company, whether it be customers, vendors, investors. When people are engaged in their life, they become much better employees because they're working towards something. From the Middle Market Executive Digital Network, this is Workplace Champions. Hello and welcome to Workplace Champions. I'm Jack Sweeney and I'm a business journalist seeking to bring you thought-provoking interviews with talent-minded business leaders. And hi, I'm Brett Knowles, a performance management advisor and strategist. I'm tasked with helping you identify some of the key issues that these executives put forward and help you put it in context of how you might be able to apply it in your organizations. So we're up to our fourth episode, Brett. And I have an observation I'd like to share. Curious to hear your opinion on it. 
I believe that in this weight class of company, business leaders have a deeper thumbprint on their on their workforce. And by that, I mean, there aren't all those veneers of management in between, and they mix it up with their employees a little more. And I believe that leads to a deeper feeling, a deeper sense of responsibility uh, among middle market business leaders. And therefore, they're more influential. And, and I think these first few uh, business leaders that we have profiled um, are kind of good examples of that. What, what do you think? I think I'd embellish that a bit by saying they also have two other neat characteristics. One is they're too busy running their businesses to read the last business book published. So their observations come from their guts. They don't come from a book. And to me, that makes it very interesting to hear their approaches that they've taken and then try to apply it in the broader context. The second thing, which I think is interesting, is that uh, they understand that in small businesses, your relationship with the employee is different. You are the brand. When they look at you, they watch you incredibly closely. And any behaviors you have and actions you do, they take to heart. And that becomes their view of culture and what the organization is about. Well, that's what makes these types of uh, smaller mid-sized firms so extraordinary when it comes to leadership, I, I, I believe. So I, I really like uh, what you were saying there. I think also interesting, just to point out, this business leader, and I'll mention this, uh, have more on this later, but this business leader actually has written a book recently. So it'll be, uh, I'll share the details of that, like I said later. But let me first introduce you uh, to her. And again, this was taken from an earlier interview. The company is Jancoa, a janitorial services company based in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the CEO of the company is Mary Miller who has led the company along with her husband, Tony, for a good number of years. It's a family-owned company, and it's it's grown uh, very quickly in recent years. And one of the top challenges this company has always faced, as with a lot of companies like uh, Genco and the janitorial services company, these are low-wage companies. And uh, employee turnover is just an enormous obstacle for growth. So along the way, uh, Mary and Tony came up with some rather innovative ways uh, to address the employee attrition. And interestingly, um, Genco has received a lot of press over the years and, in fact, became the subject of a, of a best-selling New York Times uh, book uh, called The Dream Manager. Uh, and The Dream Manager was really a set of programs that they developed to inspire their employees to pursue their personal dreams. So again, um, this is an unusual company in many respects. And uh, here, let's uh, listen to Mary as she explains uh, the company in her own words. Now, your, your clients, are they commercial customers? Are they okay. uh, government customers? We mainly do commercial office buildings, no residential, including our own. We do... Uh, commercial offices, we do medical office buildings, and we do schools. And we do all full-time employees, which is something that's very unusual in our industry because of the additional cost, especially with the change this past year with the Affordable Care Act. Most of our industry, that w anybody that was doing full-time employees quickly went to part-time 
And we made a decision back in the 90s to go to full-time employees intentionally, and that was part of our plan to be a real value to our customers. And to do that, we decided to really be a value to our employees and to walk that line to take care of both sides of that that beam. And not every company understands that. And I think that's one of our biggest differentiators is realizing that if you really take care of your employees and treat them that they are very important, they will act like they're very important and they will take care of your customers. And that has been a very important lesson that we've learned. So explain to us then uh, how along the way you uh, took a look at this awful turnover rate, and it, it, I guess you must have revisited You want to hear recently. about my moment of pain, don't you, Jack? <laughs> yes, we're headed that direction, aren't we? Clearly there was – and you said there are part-time employees here, and let's face it, these uh, types of jobs are not the types of jobs that uh, ordinarily would get uh, a workforce excited or energized. How do you uh, – and uh, so how do you elect to bring them in full time uh, knowing that, uh, you know, morale is always a, a challenge? Well, when we made that decision to go to full time and we decided part of that is to bring in the best people in our industry also. So we had decided also back in the mid-90s to do drug testing and, and third-party background checking. So that really reduced the amount of people in our employment pool as to who we would hire, who we could hire, but we needed to hire a lot of people. We also realized at that time that Tony and I, that we weren't really young people. We both had been married before. We had children, and like most entrepreneurs, our future retirement was going to be building this business to be worth something that one day somebody might want to buy. So we realized that we needed to start working pretty hard to create our business to be of value if that was going to be our retirement program because we weren't getting any younger. So about that time, I had attended my first ever trade show for our industry, and it was very impressive, very professional, and I met a lot of people there, talked to a lot of people, and learned a lot of things about our industry. And one of the people that I had met was a consultant that went to companies like ours and helped them improve their efficiencies and productivity and their processes. And so I called Tony and I said, I really have the answer to our problem. This consultant was going to come to us and help us to become more efficient and process and really help us fix our problems. So he came to our company within a month and he was scheduled to work with us for a whole week because he was like going to make us valuable by helping us figuring out what we do and how to make it more systematic and more efficient. The second day, the first day he came in, he went with Tony out on the sites, and that was the plan. And then the second day, he was really going to get at it. Only when I saw him and Tony, because I hadn't seen Tony, because they were out all night, we're 24-7 business, so he comes into the office, and I see him walking into my office with a suitcase. Well, this isn't right. He was supposed to be here for a week. He shouldn't need a suitcase. And the first thing he says to me is, I have a flight at 4 o'clock. Would you be able to take me to the airport, or should I get a taxi? And I'm like, 
what's going on? You shouldn't need a taxi. You're supposed to be here all week. He says, Mary, I can't help you. Tony and I had this conversation. I'm sorry. I thought he told you about it, but you're, I'm firing you. I can't help you. Now, I've never heard of anybody hiring a consultant, having a consultant fire you before and telling you that you can't help you. And he said to us, you have to fix your people problem. Not that your people are a problem, but you don't have enough people. And here I thought my problem was not having efficient processes and not having enough efficiencies. And that's when Tony and I were like so blown away. We knew we were moving people around and that the people were a problem, but we were so used to being in the middle of that, we just thought that was normal. Our normal was beyond anybody else's normal. So we just really had to take a different look at it. We had to really ask different questions. We had to go beyond looking for people to move vacuums and dust and really take a look at our people differently. And that weekend we bought all kinds of books about how to find people, how to get people. And We had friends buying books. We were giving other friends the books to look at. And by Monday morning we realized the number one thing that our best people had in common was transportation issues. So we went out and we bought a 15-passenger van and we started transporting our people. And we realized, first off, we didn't even have somebody to drive that van. So Tony became our first driver. Because our our general manager at the time was like, we don't even have enough people to clean. Who are we going to have drive this magic bus that's going to take people from home to work and back home again? So we thought we had this great idea, but no driver. So Tony drove it. And the crazy part was, within two days, Tony was invisible. These employees didn't even realize that he was the owner of the company. He was just a driver. And he would come home and wake me up, and then we'd have these conversations because he would see where they lived, and he would hear them talk about what their issues were. We were always very focused on customers and what their issues were and how do we resolve their issues, eliminate their dangers, and create value for customers. But we didn't always see the humanity of our employees. We always saw the employees as something we needed to get the work done. But we start seeing the humanity component. And then we start realizing we didn't always understand what the employees were saying, so how were they communicating with the supervisors? So besides the transportation issue, there's communication issues. So we start asking questions like, what can we do to improve that? And we start connecting them with agencies and programs that already existed in the community. It was just from a very different perspective than we had ever looked at that before. Did you take a look at what your your competitors might might have been up to? Were they doing anything similar? We were always looking at our competitors. That was part of the problem. We were doing... The things that we thought we were doing different than our competitors was switching to full-time, doing background checks, doing drug tests. None of our competitors did that. So we were already doing things different than our competitors. So we thought we were already way ahead of the game. So then when we start doing the transportation and English programs and then seeing where they lived, we found 
uh, home ownership program that had amazing first-time home ownership programs that our employees qualified for because we were already paying higher dollar-an-hour wage rates than any of our competitors were. And they qualified for homes in areas where they wanted to live. We've helped over 80 families buy homes, and many of them were first-generation homeowners. We would go to their closings with balloons and cakes and have celebrations, and these title companies would look at us like, and they ask us, what are you doing? <laughs> that we're celebrating these people that bought a home. And like, we have people close all the time. We've never had anybody come to celebrate at a closing before. They thought we were absolutely insane. So what happens here? Does word start to uh, to get out that uh, Janco is a unique company to work for? It's a company that uh, many employees might uh, want to move to? Absolutely. And that's we have a very strong referral program, and we started it back then, and around 1998, among our employees, we have a referral program, and 58% of our employees come from our current employees, and 17% of our employees come from previous employees who used to work for us and have moved on to other jobs, higher-paying jobs, but they still refer them back to us as a great place to I have to say I love that final anecdote of celebrating with the employees as they buy uh, their new homes. It's it's like a business fable. Shades of the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Certainly uh, George Bailey and his building and loan. Brett, what do you make of this? I think it's a just a fascinating story. Mary uh, is an incredibly creative person, and she not only thinks out of the box, but she thinks completely out of the business. I The four key messages I picked up from her is thing one, it's all about honoring the employee. And, uh, you know, she calls herself a market disruptor as she's moved them into a full-time position, which is completely contrary to what the rest of her competitors are doing. Secondly, she has this huge value that she places both on caring for the employee, almost, almost like a mother, and caring for the customer. And she understands that those two things are the, the fulcrums to drive the business forward. But in terms of thinking beyond the business, she talks about value. And I, I love her point about speak only to the good, never complain about the bad. And if you listen, she makes a comment right at the end where she talks about uh, how she's actually begun to take the speaking activity she's done and turn that into part of the revenue stream of the business. So that's way outside the standard list of activities that a janitorial service undertakes. And, and, and a middle market firm again, because here is the uh, CEO of the company who, as I mentioned earlier, she has written a book and it's titled uh, Changing Direction, 10 Choices That Impact Your Dreams. And the book is unusual because it's as much for employees who are looking to grow in their career as it is for business owners who are, are looking to energize their workforces. So, um, again, a uh, very unusual company. And uh, uh, I should mention the earlier book, uh, Dream Manager, was written by uh, – the author was Matthew Kelly. And so – Mary has now sort of stepped into that role of, of the thought leader, and she's actually writing and authoring the book. So anyway, uh, the, the company has continued to evolve alongside its leaders, which I think is a, is a wonderful 
its tail. Certainly, what I get out of the story um, is her view about employees and how it's important to get the right people involved. If I were to simplify Mary's message down to one key point, it's the importance and complexity of getting the right people. I think of Lazo Bach's book about insights from inside Google, uh, a book that he's called Work Rules. And he's identified sort of five intriguing things that Google fell over as they grew. And the interesting thing is this. If you're an IT person, the one company in the world that you really want to work for is Google. And so Google now has the intriguing challenge of they could hire anyone in the world they wanted. And now they can focus on filtering to get exactly the right people. And in Lazo's book, he talks about their understanding and knowledge that they gain that the traditional job interview process just does not work. In fact, he cited some statistics that indicate that uh, that traditional job interview only explains about 14% of any employee's actual performance on the job. Research indicates that the best predictor of a candidate's performance would be a functional test that covers the sort of work that they would be doing in their job. And that would account for about 29% of an employee's performance. The dilemma, though, is the work that we do in North America, knowledge-based work, doesn't suit a test that would better be organized to a simple assembly job or uh, something like that. So as soon as there's a cognitive element to the work, tests really don't do the trick. The third best or second best indicator is an individual's cognitive ability. And apparently research indicates that explains about 26% of an employee's performance. Now, cognitive ability tests are things like IQ tests and so forth. But we know that those tests are structured and discriminate against non-white, non-male participants. And so, although it's interesting, not really an overall tool that we can use consistently. Ultimately, Google found that the right answer is a mix, a mix between the cognitive and work skill matrix. And overall, they look for a third element, what they called conscientiousness, which is about an ability, an employee's desire and ability to see a task through to completion. So that's an interesting foundation. Eventually, they move towards what you might think of as a hiring rubric. And a rubric explains how scores are achieved uh, in a course or in this case in an interview. It turns out that if you consider the job interviews that you've given, it's unlikely that any two are identical. You ask different questions, you give different amounts of time, it's in a different situation and so forth. And so the comparability isn't there. And the idea of a rubric is to build that comparability back in, not only within the same job interviewer, but across different job interviewers. And so they have a series of uh, questioning areas. You can still make up your own questions, amount of time, location, those sorts of things. And they found that between looking at a certain level of testing, a certain level of uh, cognitive capability testing, uh, testing for conscientiousness, and having this consistent rubric, they've significantly improved what they consider to be the success rate of their hiring profile. 
Okay, well, to underscore uh, Brett's primary takeaway from our discussion with Mary Miller of Jancoa, whether you're a large enterprise firm, such as the likes of Google, or a small, mid-sized firm, it's about getting the right people. Okay, well, that was uh, quite insightful. Jack, who do you have us lined up uh, for the next episode? Next episode, we feature a 30-year-old IT services firm known as Atrion and its leader, Tim Hebert. And what I think you'll find interesting about our talk with Tim is how he realized as a leader he needed to dedicate more of his time to developing the firm's culture and developing its talent. And he needed to realize that as a leader, he would need to begin dedicating uh, between 25% to nearly a third of his daily routine to talent. And that realization, I think, is something many leaders experience as their firms continue to grow. And whereas in the early years, it was more about identifying customer opportunities, the focus of leadership moves to talent. And Tim's story, uh, I think, uh, reveals that very nicely. And so we'll sign off uh, to next time for Workplace Champions. This is Jack Sweeney. And Brett Knowles. Hello, it's Jack Sweeney. Is your company a workplace champion? Inspired by our leadership interviews, we've tasked ourselves with compiling the Workplace Champions 100, an original listing of 100 exceptional workplaces where talent and business today thrive. To find out how your middle market firm can be added to the Workplace Champions 100, text the word CHAMPS to 33444 or visit us at workplacechampions.com.